You ever say this out loud or to yourself? Who cares? Of course you do. Who cares? You might say it under your breath because you're too spiritual to say it in front of somebody in church. But sometimes you just, inside you have those moments where it just seems as though you just say, who cares? I think we all at different times feel that, that sense of really who does care. Who cares if what I'm going through? Who cares about even if I'm alive? Uh, who cares? Who cares about me? This morning, you may be here and feeling discouraged and despondent and isolated, overwhelmed, anxious, wondering who really does care. And this morning, I believe that the word of the Lord from John 10 is going to be a word of encouragement for you this morning. The title of the message from John chapter 10 is Our Good Shepherd. Our Good Shepherd. Now, we don't have much of a picture in, modern, uh, in our modern Western culture of shepherds. That's very much an uh, ancient uh, Near East, uh, uh, very much still a part of. We have ranchers and farmers and that type of thing, and I'm sure there still are some shepherds and here. Uh, but, but it was very much a common picture. And Jesus in John chapter 10 uses the shepherd as a metaphor, as a picture to describe his life, to describe or tell us, gain an insight into something about who he is as our good shepherd. Now the Bible, this isn't new in John 10. We know that in the Old Testament, we are very familiar with uh, Psalm 23, verse 1, that says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. And so the sense and identity that God's people are like sheep, and He is our shepherd, is very much a picture that is all throughout Scripture. In fact, interestingly, in the book of Micah, there is a prophecy regarding the coming of Messiah, Jesus Christ, that the prophet Micah gives that identifies that the, the prophet or the uh, Messiah that was to come would be a shepherd. And so Jesus, in John chapter 10, connects this. But notice in Micah, it'll be on the screen, but you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be a ruler in Israel. It's speaking prophetically about the coming of Messiah, who will be a ruler to, uh, uh, in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Verse 4 and he, this one who shall come forth, shall stand and feed his flock. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. So Jesus picks up on very much a biblical word picture, a metaphor in describing who he is as our 
good shepherd. So who cares? Well, Jesus cares. Jesus cares for us. Jesus cares the way that shepherd cares. And so this morning, I want us to notice in John chapter 10, several things that encourage us as Jesus as our shepherd. Jesus says in verse chapter 23, verse 1, sorry, media person, I'm kind of going backwards on you. He says, in, I'm sorry, in uh, John 10, 14, John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. He identifies as the shepherd. It's interesting that he did not say, I am the good warrior. I'm the good doctor. I'm the good prophet. I'm the good teacher. I'm the good carpenter, right? I mean, he did, what did he choose? He chose and said, I am the good shepherd. Not a good shepherd, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. You ever find it interesting that the Bible pictures God's people as sheep? Meek, mild, passive sheep. You don't hear too many football teams named the sheep, do you? The University of Florida sheep. You know, it just not, doesn't have that, you know, gators. We want warriors if you're a, uh, the other team. <laughs> um, sheep. Sheep are not necessarily known to be the brightest and smartest animals, are they? Very descriptive of the way we are, aren't we? Sometimes that, again, sheep, unless they are led, unless they are directed, unless they have caring oversight, sheep will get themselves into danger and in trouble. And so it's very apt that the Lord chose the picture of sheep and the shepherd as a metaphor in describing who Jesus is. And this morning, I want you to look with me at five blessings Because Jesus is the believer's good shepherd. You have a listener's guide there in your your bulletin uh, that you got this morning. I encourage you to follow along and uh, be uh, engaged in the message this morning. Notice, number one, that because these are all practical. Sometimes I've preached John 10 and emphasized more of the theological aspects. And everything is theological. But this morning I want to make these practical of The fact that Jesus is our good shepherd, and how does that benefit me? Who cares? The good shepherd cares. And because Jesus is my good shepherd, number one, notice with me, I have a real relationship with my heavenly Father. That because he is my good shepherd, I have a real relationship with my heavenly Father. Notice when they had several scriptures, and I'm going to tie them together. John 10, verse 2 through 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find 
pasture. Sheep need pasture. They need food. They need green grass. The thief, verse 10, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Verse 14, read this early. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. In verse 30 of chapter 10, Jesus said, I and my father are one. Now here is the implication of what we're, what we're looking at as Jesus, the first blessing as our good shepherd, that we have a real relationship with our heavenly father. The implication of his words is this connection. You know Jesus, you're connected to Jesus, you're connected to your heavenly father. There's no relationship connection to our heavenly father without going through Jesus. Jesus is the connection. Jesus is the one who has come to make it known who he is. Jesus is the one that has given himself so that we might have that relationship with him. All through the Gospel of John, John has been emphasizing the theme is that you would know him, you would know who he is, and that by knowing him, by knowing Christ, that you would have life in his name. A lot of people that were listening, the disciples even, they knew a lot about God. It wasn't that they came from a, a godless culture. They had a lot of information about God. They, they observed uh, in a religious sense about God. But Jesus was doing something different. He was inviting men and women to have a real relationship with their Heavenly Father the way that He has that relationship. Remember what Jesus said in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Jesus is praying this prayer to his Father. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. His prayer is that they would know you. And not just know you in an informational sense, but know you in a relational sense. 1 John 5.20 from the New Living Translation reads this way. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God, that we can have a relationship with the true God, with our Heavenly Father. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because, why? We live in fellowship with His Son Jesus Christ. You see, the connection is to know God, is to know our Good Shepherd. Our Good Shepherd has blessed us because He has come to connect us into a real relationship with God. You may be here this morning and you say, I know a lot about God. I've been in church all my life, but I don't really have that real relationship. When I pray, it's, it's very perfunctory prayers. And now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord, my soul to keep. You know, it's very routine. It's very almost heartless because I don't really know Him. I don't have that relationship. I don't have a desire. When you have a relationship with somebody, you desire to cultivate that relationship. You desire to spend time 
to building that relationship, to get to know them. They know you. Well, God knows everything about us, right? So he's not getting new information about us. But he desires to be with us. You remember when the disciples heard Jesus pray and they asked Jesus a very great question of instruction in John 17, I'm John 11, John 11, verse 1 and 2, and now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. In verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father. Now that was radical. That was radical to the Jewish mindset. That they would actually pray and talk to God in a relationship manner. To call God Yahweh, God of very God, to refer to Him as Father. Later, the Bible, Jesus Himself says in referring that we can pray and call God our Father, Abba Father. That's a very, even more intimate, very closely like we would say daddy. An intimate relationship implies that we can have this real relationship that our good shepherd has come to lead us in this relationship that we would know the Heavenly Father the way he did. And I just ask you this morning, do you, do you have this real relationship with our Heavenly Father? A relationship that's 24-7 and just something you flip on on Sunday morning for 90 minutes. Someone that knows everything about you and still loves you. Now find somebody that, I'm not talking about just somebody that, know, you know, listen, your spouse on their best day doesn't know everything about you. God does. And He still loves us. And He wants and invites us into a relationship. And it sent Jesus to make that possible. That's a blessing of our good shepherd. And how can you have this? Jesus tells us in John 10, 9. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the door. And here's the word, if. That's a condition, isn't it? If. It's not assuming it's automatic. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If you open the door, Jesus gave the door picture to the church at Laodicea when he said, behold, I stand at the door and do what? And I knock. And if anyone opens that door, I will come into him. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way to a real, vital, intimate relationship I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. There is one name given under heaven, and that's the name of Jesus, that we can have this relationship of what our good shepherd has promised us. And because Jesus is my good shepherd, I can have this type of relationship. But notice the second blessing that is linked to the first. Secondly, I have the abiding assurance of God's love for me. John 10, 11. 
I am the good shepherd. Notice what it says. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 13. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, a hired hand, if you will. And he does not care about the sheep. Verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. The command I have received from my Father. You see, I have the abiding, ongoing assurance of God's love for my life Not because I've been good enough this week. Hey, you came to church on Sunday. That's worth something, right? Well, it is, but not in the sense that we're talking about. It isn't just doing good enough. It isn't just kind of, well, I was uh, baptized in a certain church when I was a child, and certainly that leans into some status, right? I keep the Ten Commandments as best I can. That's how I get assurance, and when I blow it, I don't have assurance. You see, as long as it, again, is dependent upon you and me, we're going to be riddled with constant doubt and anxiety of, I can't do this. And here's a newsflash. You can't do this. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given to us and poured out to us to empower us and enable us to do... What we can't do of ourselves, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of the risen Christ that lives inside the born-again believer that gives us the strength and the power to do the purposes and the will of God. But I know and have the assurance that God loves me how I have the assurance and the, without a doubt when I question because of the completed, finished, atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross who died and paid the penalty for my sins. That is the only, only basis that I have the assurance of my relationship, this real relationship with the Lord. That's my assurance. It's not based on stuff that I'm doing or not doing. It's based on what Christ has done. And what he has finished. No other assurance. Trusting in nothing else. Look at Titus 3, 4-6. through It says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, born again, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly. He wasn't stingy through Jesus Christ our Savior. John the Apostle, the same one that wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote 1 John and 1 John 4, 9. He says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Let me read to you out of the New Living Translation. It's the next scripture up there. It's the same verse, but from the New Living Translation. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. 
You see, for the believer, a believer should never ever wonder and question, does God really love me? When the Bible has made it plain and clear that He has demonstrated His love for us by the giving of His Son. You can't get any better or higher than that. And some of you struggle. Does God love me? Does God really love me? Who cares? God cares. And you don't need to look any further but the cross of Christ to have the assurance that for the believer that God indeed loves me. That's where my abiding assurance. So when I doubt, do what? Look to the cross. When I'm depressed, do what? Look to the cross. When I fail, do what? Look to the cross. That is where my assurance is anchored. And I know the love of God. This past week, Charles Stanley died, passed away, 90 years of age. One of the great pastors, teachers, a man who lived a a long, full life. And I was watching uh, some various things, some interviews that he had done several years back. And I was watching a particular interview. I don't remember who it was with. But he was just talking, uh, it may have been with his son, Andy. And he was just talking about just different things in his life and ministry. And, and he talks about a time when he had been in the pastorate uh, there at First Baptist Atlanta for a number of years. And uh, things were going well. The church was doing well. He was on television speaking, and there wasn't, you know, wasn't anything obvious, uh, necessarily sin in his life. But he just began to sense that something was off. Something was off in his life, and he couldn't figure it out. So he, in a a very humble action, he uh, called together four or five uh, people that weren't necessarily in the church, but they were some pastors and some friends and different people that he had a relationship with, and they went away for a weekend. And he was very open and transparent to them about his life and just kind of opened the books, if you will, and and shared everything that he could know or knew, and and was just searching and and inquiring of them, what are they seeing? What are they hearing? And would they pray with him about this sense that he's feeling just something is off in his his personal relationship with Jesus? It went about church growth or whatever. It was just his personal relationship with Jesus. And they met and talked and, you know, a Friday night and then Saturday morning as they were gathered after breakfast and just very informal talking, one of the men uh, said, Charles, we're going to pray for you, and I, don't, I just want you to put your head on the table. Just kind of put your head down on the table. He said, we're going to pray for you. He said, but before we do, he said, I want you, close your eyes, and I want you to picture your heavenly Father putting his arms around you. And he said, in that moment, he said, I broke. I began to weep. Charles Stanley's earthly father died when he was nine months old, raised by a single mother. She remarried and married an abusive uh, man that was somewhat abusive in that stepfather relationship. But he never knew his earthly father. Now, this is talking about your heavenly father. And here's what he said. He said, I realized from that... I had never 
personally experienced the love of God for me. He said, I could instruct about the love of God. He said, and I noticed as I went back through my sermons, I only preached one time at that point. I only had one sermon on the love of God. He said, and that wouldn't even be worth throwing in the trash. He said, because it wasn't something that was real to me that I really couldn't say. I knew about it intellectually, theologically, but I didn't really truly know and experience the genuine love of my Heavenly Father for me. Some of you are like that. Times I've been like that. You know, we know that God, we know theologically God loves me, but He probably doesn't really like me. Because I'm not sure I like myself. How could God tolerate me? Well, that's, that's not a biblical picture. God loves you. In fact, He loved you while the, you were yet unlovable while we were yet sinners, that's when he committed his son Jesus to die for your sins and to die for my sins. To know the love of God, to have the assurance. You see, sometimes and oftentimes we get our sense of our Heavenly Father's love by our earthly fathers. Well, listen, earthly fathers are unreliable, but the Lord is always faithful. Always faithful. He is our good shepherd who gives me the abiding, ongoing assurance that God loves me. Notice thirdly, because Jesus is my good shepherd, and this again is all interconnected, I have a settled security that I am forever a child of God. You see, one of the, one of the links to the assurance of God's love is that I have and understand and walk in a secure relationship that is anchored in Christ. I chose that word on purpose, settled security. You see, some Christians, we have this idea kind of like, you know, we take a flower or something, and it's, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And we think, and I, I grew up in this kind of church environment, to where I must have gotten saved 30 times in about three or four years, you know, as a kid. Because, you know, if you made it to the altar, you hoped you would die or get raptured immediately because you knew before you got out in the parking lot with the other, your other pals, you're probably going to lose your salvation by the time you get home from church on Sunday night. You're going to do something you weren't supposed to be doing. You hear what I'm saying? And there was always that back and forth. And I called it the doctrine of divine insecurity. That I really don't have the security. You see, the security of God in Christ is not based on me. It's based on what Jesus did. Look at, look at these scriptures. And these are very clear, I think. Words of the shepherd in John 10. Verse 28. And I give them eternal life. I'm not... They're not getting it on a, on, a, on a buyer's plan program. They don't make the payments. I take it back. No, I give them eternal life. And what does it say? And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, given them to me, 
is greater than all, and no one is able, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus said very similar words back in John 6, verse 37. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's when we talk about the doctrine of election. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nada, nothing, but should raise it up, raise them up on that last day. Paul said this in different words, but the same thought, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, he just starts rattling off, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Verse 38, for I am persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We have the security of our salvation that is rooted and built and, found and, and anchored in Jesus Christ. And I know that many, I have, you have, questioned and doubted my salvation. But again, are you questioning it and doubting it because you're looking to yourself? You're looking to, to me. You know, we, we, again, in church life, there's a, always been a tension. We talk about the eternal security of the believer. But here's what I found. There is a vast difference, and it really depends on what do you define or how do you define salvation. How do you def what does salvation look like? Is that walking an aisle and shaking a preacher's hand if you grew up in a certain church and filled out a car and you got baptized and, buddy, you're saved, don't ever doubt it, and you go out and live however you want? Is that, is that evidence of, of, of a being born again? Not so sure. How do you define salvation? There is a difference. Hear what I'm going to say. There is a difference between profession and possession. There's a lot of profession, but is there possession? Does Jesus possess your life? Do you possess his life? A lot of people talk that they're a Christian. A lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian because of X, Y, Z. But is the Lord Jesus Christ possessing and guiding your life as the Good Shepherd? You see, there's security not in me, but in Him. My security is never based on what I bring to the table. The only thing I bring to my salvation is my sin. Look at what Paul said again in Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. There's that continual ministry. Don't miss this. 
There is the continual ministry of Jesus in the throne room of God that is consistently and constantly securing our relationship and our standing before our Heavenly Father. It's based upon Him. And you remember, I use this analogy a lot. You remember when Jesus was baptized? Remember in, uh, was it Matthew uh, 3? Is one example when He was baptized and in Luke chapter 3? That the voice from heaven, they heard, what? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? I'm not making that up. That's not from the Book of Mormon. That's from the Bible, all right? Everybody with me? All right? Some of you are not sure, but that's from the Bible, all right? Colossians 3.3 3 says that my life is hidden with Christ and God. So if the Father is pleased with Jesus, can the Father be any more pleased with Jesus can he earn any more? No. He's pleased with Christ. Colossians 3.3 3 said that my life is hidden. My life is hidden with Christ in God. So guess what? When God sees my life hidden with Christ, what does he say about Tim? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because I'm standing in my own righteousness? No, 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 no. I am in the righteousness of Christ. And I can't improve on that standing a relationship. And just as Christ is secure as the Son of God, I am secure in Him. Somebody better wake up and listen to that truth because you need it. Amen. Shouldn't have stayed up so late last night. Some of you need that truth because you struggle with your identity in Christ. Love me. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I can't get any more secure than that. And guess what? That's a security that will take me to heaven. That when I die, when you die, my hope for you is that in the moments before I take my last breath, I don't say to the preacher or somebody, one of you visiting me, Pastor, are you sure? And I say, well, I hope so. I hope so, Sean. I hope so, Jim. I hope so. No, 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 no. I know so. Not because of me, but because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, again, look at verse 28 and 29 of John 10. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never no one can snatch them out of my hand or my Father's hand. You see, the security of my salvation is settled because it is anchored in that eternal blood covenant made by Jesus Christ, my good shepherd, who gave his life for me. Fourthly, not only do I have a settled security that I'm a child of God, but fourth, I have a grace-filled guidance to know and understand God's will. Number one question Christians have is what? How can I know God's will for my life? Now, there's obvious things that God has given us means, tools, you could say, prayer, the Word of God. Christian friends, a church relationship. That's why it's important to be connected in a body, a church. There's no such thing as TV pastors. 
You're somebody, well, I'm your TV pastor. No, you're a TV pastor. When I'm in the hospital, is my TV pastor going to come and call me and see me? I don't think so. Every Christian that's faithful needs to be rooted into a local body. And guess what? It ain't going to be perfect because you're there. Right? You're going to mess it up just like I've messed it up. Right? But that's the beautiful thing about a body of believers in Christ that we have the diversity, not only of skin color in this church, but economics and backgrounds and education. But what are we united in is in Christ. That we have a commonality. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so we are guided to know and understand God's will. People want to know, what is God's will for my life? I love this. Look at verse 4, John 10. And when he brings out his own sheep, again, he's using metaphor between the earthly shepherd and him as, a, as, our, as our spiritual shepherd. And when he, when he brings out his own sheep, it says that he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, the voice of Christ is clear, and his direction is clear. When you have a relationship with him, God, and they're on the promises as our good shepherd, is that we have a grace-filled guidance. Why do I say grace-filled? Because one of the unique traits of an eastern shepherd is they led the flock from the front. The western ranchers do what? They drive them from the back. And there's a great advantage of going out ahead. Because that means if there's trouble, guess who is the first one to encounter the trouble? The shepherd. If there's a wolf that's going to devour the flock, who's the first one? Wasn't David a great example of that? If there's a ravine that they could fall into and be hurt or dead, who's the first one that's going to stop and redirect them? Why? Because the shepherd leads from the front. Some of you need to be reminded of that today, that you haven't encountered anything that the good shepherd has not already gone in front of you and prepared the way, the path. Jesus leads the sheep gracefully. My yoke is easy, he says. He's not driving with a whip. You see, that's what law and legalism does. It wants to drive. Work harder. Come on, go. No, he's the gentle shepherd that leads from the front. He lays down his life. Talks about being the door, one of the traits of the shepherd that oftentimes the sheepfold was just nothing more as they were out Looking for pasture was nothing more than kind of a, a little simple structure of some rocks to keep the sheep in and a little opening. And some, oftentimes at night, you know where the shepherd would sleep? He would lay at the opening, at the door, if you will. It wasn't literally a door with hinges. But he would lay at the entrance, at the door, his physical body, he would lay down to ensure the sheep stayed in and the enemy stayed out. I'm thankful that that's our good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. 
They know and have the protection as our shepherd. And part of this leading and guiding involves warning. Verse 5. He says that in verse 5, Yet they, the sheep, will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. You see, to be guided and directed means that you flee from those alternative voices seeking to lead you and guide you into something that is not to your best interest. There's a lot of false teachers, and I'm not just talking about false teachers necessarily out there in books and television, but you know what? There's false teachers in your office spewing advice on marriage, family. The sheep of Christ don't heed to that voice. Somebody maybe you met at school or maybe a professor, a teacher. Maybe somebody that's giving you false direction concerning something vital in your life. You don't listen to them. You don't recognize that. Have you ever listened or read something from somebody? And as you're reading it or as you're listening to it, you say, you know what? can't pinpoint it, but something doesn't sound right. And then you find out something that maybe was behind or going on. I've read stuff, and literally I started reading a book, and after a while I said, I don't know what it is. I mean, the information seems okay, but there's something wrong here. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit giving you, the Bible calls that, what he's talking about here, the Bible calls that discernment. A lot of Christians don't have discernment. I remember a lady in the church in Illinois, bless her heart, wonderful woman. And one day she, right before Bible study class, she was excited to show me her new Bible. Said, it's so easy to read. So look at this Bible, and immediately I recognized that it was the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible. And I said, Linda, do you you know what that is? And I turned over the opening. I said, look at who's the publisher. (sighs) Did you not, like, check that out? I've been in people's homes where they had a little, they had this magazine, that magazine. They dabbled to listen to that. They listen to that. And you know what that is? To some people, is they just have a lot of voices. And you know what that produces? Not clarity. You know what that produces? Confusion. And you know where it comes out is when they come to church and they start kind of dabbling in some of their thoughts and ideas that's just a little bit of hodgepodge, just like the lint brush catching all the mess. That's the way they kind of have their hodgepodge view of God and the script because they just they don't have any clarity. Listen, the good shepherd leads you with a clear, distinctive, reliable voice to guide you in your life. You know, the shepherd carried a few things on him. He carried something called a scrip. That was a little bag, we might say, for carrying food. So he could eat as he took them on a journey. He's not eating grass. He needs, you know, he needs some uh, chicken nuggets or whatever it is that he had in there. Uh, the, sh- the shepherd would also carry a sling. Remember, that was David's 
weapon of choice. And sometimes not only was that sling helpful in defending, but it was also really that if there was something, a, a sheep, one of the sheep was going astray or he was wanting to get their attention, the shepherd oftentimes would take that sling, put a rock in it, not throw it at the sheep, but throw it just over them to make a noise and scare them away from the direction they were going. God's not throwing rocks at you. But he is sometimes warning you to stop going that direction. Pay attention. Christian, pay attention. There's danger over there. Let the shepherd guide you and direct you in his will. But we know one of the things most distinct that shepherd has is his staff. And there's two purposes with that staff. One, it was a weapon to defend an attack, a weapon to uh, you know, defend the sheep and defend his own life. But also it was a rod, you know, it has the crook, you know, kind of the turn on it. I've got one in my office. And it was used to prod the sheep. Sometimes that crook was good to get around their leg or sometimes their neck and do what? Come on. Sometimes the Lord has to do that, doesn't he? Sometimes he has to prod us and say, hey, get off your blessed assurance and get going here, right? Or sometimes he's got to put it around our leg and our neck sometimes and drag us away from what? Danger. That is what a good shepherd does. He's, he guides us with grace-filled guidance to know and understand his will. Something else I thought was interesting that the shepherd does is that the shepherd oftentimes at night, as the sheep were coming into the little makeshift fold that they were going to stay in overnight, sometimes the shepherd, as they entered in, would take that staff and he would hold it down low so that the sheep would have to stop or slow down at the doorway, and you know what that did for him? It enabled him to inspect each one as they entered in to make sure, is there any cuts, is there any bruises, is there anything hurtful, is there anything damaged on them that he wouldn't have seen? Sometimes the Lord puts a little of his hand to slow you down. You with me? Say, hey, let's take a little time and put some salve on that womb because if you don't get that treated if you don't get that unforgiveness treated it's going to get worse so he puts his staff of love of care of direction down to slow us down so that the good shepherd can nurture and care for us that is our good shepherd but there's a fifth and last blessing because Jesus is the good shepherd I have the confidence in the compassion of Jesus to reach my loved ones. You see, this is wonderful for the born-again believer that enjoys the blessing of the shepherd, but listen, we know, maybe married to somebody, maybe have children, maybe have loved ones, a parent, whatever, that they do not know Jesus as the good shepherd. They don't have the leadership of God, His Son, in their life. Look at this scripture here. Jesus said in the middle of this 
this teaching, verse 16. He said, and other sheep I have. He didn't say other sheep I want. He says other sheep I have. That's a present possession as I read it. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them, it's very specific, a group that Jesus the good shepherd knows. Them also I must bring. And listen to this. And they will hear my voice. They will, I hope they, I hope they, I hope they respond. I'm going to woo them. No, they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see, this shows us a principle to the heart of Jesus. Now, in the direct context, he, he is referring to the Gentiles. Remember, Jesus is teaching Jews. His ministry is primarily to the Jews at this stage. But he's speaking in direct context when he talks about other sheep. He's speaking about those Gentiles that in the book of Acts are going to start pouring in to the church. That's the other sheep. How is he going to reach them? Through the apostles, through the, you know, the teachers and the outreach and the gospel that's going into all the world. That's the direct context. But I think it also enlightens us on a principle that's important to see and get you, catch a glimpse into the heart of our good shepherd. And it gives us a picture by implication of the redemptive mission of Jesus. Jesus came to do what? Seek and to save that those who were lost, right? Right? Isn't that what he came to do? When he says, there's other sheep I have are not his fault, them I am almost bring, that is meaning, and I'm not talking about the finished work of the cross, I'm saying there is an ongoing redemptive work that Jesus has to ensure that those other sheep, those other elect, if you will, will enter into the fold. There's going to be one flock. Paul said in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, but we are what? One in Christ Jesus. It's not going to be a Jewish church, not going to be a Gentile church, not going to be an Ethiopian church, not going to be a, a Florida church. No. Yeah, we'll, we'll have our distinctives, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people say, wouldn't it be nice if we were all on one church? I don't know, because I may not like your music, and you may not like mine. Listen, just the way God created variety, I think it's okay for the body to have some variety in the church. All right? There's nothing wrong with that. All right? But we're unified in the one good shepherd. We are unified around his purpose his redemptive mission. Let me show you what I mean by this. Remember when Jesus said in that great chapter of his second coming in Matthew 24, verse 14, he said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then, what? The end will come. So until all those other sheep are gathered into the one flock. Jesus said the end is not yet. Because I, there, is, there is redemptive work to do. Now here's the connection for us. 
as Christians, these are blessings to those who are born-again believers. These are blessings of the Good Shepherd. But we, as I said, what about, what about my loved ones that do not know Christ? Well, here's what I'm going to encourage you with, is the Good Shepherd is on the case. He's on the case. You keep praying and believing and saying, Lord, you said your heart is to reach those in that other flock. And I'm believing that my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, whoever, that they're part of that fold. And that, you've get, that I have confidence in your compassionate heart that you're going to reach my loved ones. That they're going, to, uh, they're going to know you as their good shepherd. You see, it's interesting in John 10, there's several different players that are going on here. I've just emphasized the good shepherd. But as you read John 10, he talks about thieves, robbers, hired hands, as well as shepherds. And so as he is teaching us about the good shepherd and the direction and the ministry of the good shepherd... He also mentions that we didn't get into this. He says, look, there are people that are thieves. They are people that mask themselves as shepherds when in reality they're thieves. And then what he said in John 10.10? Thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. If you're a part of the flock of God, who is the thief? that you're allowing in to steal the goodness and blessing of God in your life. Who's the thief coming in and giving you confusing, contrary, contradictory information? It's not the good shepherd. He has a clarity of voice, and you know that voice. There are going to be thieves that are always looking to come in. Thieves have one purpose. What does it say? Steal, kill, and destroy. And some of those voices that are not the voice of the Good Shepherd that you're allowing to enter into your life bring confusion, entertain your thinking. They don't care about you. Because ultimately the enemy is behind those things and it's to steal, kill, and destroy. But he also says there's some hired hands. They're not thieves. But there's somebody that the shepherd has hired as a helper. They don't really, they're not the shepherd, but there are people that he's hired to help with the flock. Some of you that may be be in management or own a business or whatever, you know that there are those people that you might have to hire, and when the day is done, they don't really care about the business because... That's your responsibility. When the day is done, guess what? They're going to be looking to you. You maybe get fired. They don't have any skin in the game. They could care less. There are people that we allow their voices into our life that are the hired hands. They don't care about us, but we listen to their voice. We allow their influence. And we're distracted from the care of the Good Shepherd. Jesus said, or really the word of the Lord said, that psalm that we began that's so familiar in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice what the good shepherd does. 
He wants you to lie down in green pastures. You see, green pastures for the sheep, that's where they could eat and get fat and filled like some of you are going to do in about 20 minutes. They could lie down in that green grass. High tides and green grass forever as the song goes. Some of you will be dated by that. But let me tell you something. You want to live in the green pastures of the Lord. There's three things I want to leave you with this morning. Number one is listen to the shepherd. Listen to his voice. Cultivate his voice. How do you do that? Prayer, listening to the word, reading the word, hearing the voice of the Lord. Listen to the shepherd. Listen, people will influence you. We get voices all the time coming at us. Some are thieves. Some are hired hands. There's all sorts of information coming at us. But who are we listening to? Who influences our life? Who are you allowing to speak and influence into your life and your children's lives? Listen to the shepherd. Secondly, follow the shepherd. We will follow somebody. You'll follow somebody. We're sheep. Sheep follow that's their nature. Follow the shepherd. And I believe God brought you here this morning to remind you that you need to return to following the good shepherd. That Jesus is the only one that cares about you, the only one that loves you, the only one that's going to speak straight into your life, that's going to give you the grace-filled guidance that you need. And that's why, thirdly, we can trust. We need to trust the shepherd. You say, well... Sometimes I, 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 he leads me in areas that I'm not so sure about. Trust him. Just when I start trusting the Lord, it seems like all this stuff happens. Trust him. But what if his way, I, remember he's gone ahead. He knows the way. He knows how to lead you through the way. You ever travel with somebody and you're unfamiliar? This is before GPS. And they don't have a clue of where they're going. But if they don't have a clue of where they're going and you don't have a clue where you're going, you just fake it. You say, oh yeah, that's, that's a little long way I took when you were just out winging it, right? I've done that. Oh yeah, I meant to do that, right? You want somebody who's gone that way before. Who knows, oh, you don't want to get off there because that's, oh, you want to go around this way. You want to take this. You want to take that. That is what our good shepherd is. We can trust him. Trust him to lead us. You see, Jesus said, and don't miss this as we close this morning. Don't miss this. If you don't hear anything else, wake up for this. Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 28, he said, my sheep, my sheep. What he says is not applicable to everybody. He's speaking about his people, my sheep, those whom I possess and they possess me, those who belong to me. My sheep. And I, the question I'd ask you here this morning, do you belong to Christ? Is he yours? Are you part of the my and the they and the them? Are you part of that? Because if you're not, nothing here is applicable to any promise for your life. Because you do not belong 
to Him. Well, how do I belong to Him? How do I do this? Remember what He said. He said, I am the door. If anyone opens that door, they can come in. He's the door. He's the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray.